legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, Merry Christmas, Happy Boxing Day and welcome to the Football Social Daily. Yep, even though it's that most wonderful time of the year, we're still here uh, bringing you daily football updates because the footballers are still here, or at least where possible. Uh, COVID has decimated uh, the fixtures across English football, but we still managed to get a few games on today in the Premier League. And we're going to look over those, and there's been lots of goals, so it's been a bumper edition. And uh, I've not added all the goals up yet, but uh, just because there have been that many of them. To help me add them all up and possibly uh, finish off these leftover Brussels sprouts I've got from yesterday, I have uh, Jay Motti, who you may recognise from the Three Points in the Gaff podcast. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Merry Christmas, sir. Good to speak to you again. Was it a good one? Did you get a lovely presents? Yeah, do you know what? I am fully dad presents now. I'm getting socks. I'm getting links. I'm getting the, the I've got the full list of dad presents. That's what I am now. Excellent. Was was it Links Africa? Of course it was. <laughs> of course. Rob Blanchett from the Manchester United Masterclass podcast also joins us. Did you have a particular favourite uh, links from over the years or did, was that usurped by anything you got yesterday? Do you know what? It would have been Africa, but I think I was 14 at the time. So, you know, <laughs> I've not, it's not really been on my radar for, I'd say, 25 years. Yeah, well, funnily enough, I got a 25-year anniversary gift pack of it. So there you go, spot on with your <laughs> nice. estimates. Uh, let's turn our attention away from presents and wrapping and focus on the football and uh, if you managed to make it to a game in the Premier League today uh, with all the restrictions and the doubts about whether or not games would go ahead uh, you were more than likely going to be very much rewarded in terms of your goals per game nine at the Etihad today Uh, City continued to break records for the calendar year in terms of wins and goals Uh, 6-3 against Leicester City who were down and out after 25 minutes 
Uh, 4-0 at half-time. They came back out and three goals in 10 minutes. It looked like we were on for an absolute classic. Uh, but City find themselves six points clear at the top, still playing without a striker. As for Leicester, is it's been a real drop in form because I seem to remember this time last year they were at the top of the table, Jay. Do you think it's too simple to say that the drop in form at Leicester is down to the squad depth? I know that they, they have, like a lot of teams, been affected by COVID already. Yeah, I mean, I've been asked this question quite a few times, not just this season, but over the years when I've been on this podcast. Leicester have this trade only of, of sort of not being able to get over the line, of, of almost falling apart towards the end of the season. And yet this season, it's, it's happened a lot sooner. They've not really got going. Um, we know they have got a smaller squad and they are quite reliant on one or two players and when those players are missing, they do they do feel it. But even with that being said, I know they've had players out and, and to, you know the game against City was no different. They were, they were missing, um, I think they were missing Ndidi, I think they're always missing when he's, he's not playing. Um, I know he's on the bench. But I feel like this season hasn't been a good one for, for Leicester. I don't know what it is. Usually, like you said there, there was a point last season where they're at the top. The last couple of seasons, they've been in the sort of top three for most of the season. And it's the latter part of the season where they've fallen away. But this time round, I mean, it's just been very stop-start. They've had a couple of good results. They obviously had a good result against Manchester United a little while ago. But on the whole, it doesn't feel like Leicester are performing as you'd expect them to. And I don't know what that is. I don't know whether it is just missing key players. I don't know whether Brendan Rodgers is just feeling it a little bit. I know he's coming for some criticism of late. But you'd expect Leicester to be in and around that top six. And they've not really got there. The, the, you know, they're just about in the top half of the table. And they have had some some bad results. They've had some sort of soul-destroying... They had a soul-destroying result, didn't they, against Liverpool. And then, so to the credit, against City, at one point against them, it looked like it was going to be 7 or 8 nil, And they made a game of it. But... They were comfortably in 6-3. It's not a great result, is it? Come on. So, I don't know. I think I think they are missing one or two players and they might just be feeling like a little bit of fatigue or something because they always seem to punch slightly above the weight for most of the season, don't they, Leicester? And this season, that's not, just not been happening. Rob, yeah, you and Jay are both Man United fans and uh, Rodgers is uh, one of these names that's been constantly linked um, to, to, to the United job as is, is his next step on. Um, do you think that he's... Um, going to still be in that kind of frame if if uh, Leicester can't turn things around. I mean, they're, they're not having a terrible season. They're mid-table. There's no danger of them uh, facing real trouble. But when you consider... We're talking about you know a team that just five seasons ago... Well, let's be honest. They've won the Premier League more recently than United have. Oh, thanks for saying that. That's a, that, that felt really good. Uh, I knew that was coming. I knew that was Merry every Christmas. Time, Merry every Christmas. single time. Oh, ho, ho. Um, yeah, I just think, I, I, I think with Leicester, it's a funny one because obviously we still see them as a mid-table club, but they are a team that always have top four aspirations. They want to be in the top six at least. And as it stands, being mid-table, Brendan Rodgers is going to get sacked. So this is the way it stands now. I think only a few weeks ago, we were talking about him obviously being the next Manchester United manager and about how how well he'd done at Leicester. But, you know, yes, he's had injuries. Yes, results have been very up and down. But if you're going to Manchester City losing 6-3 where you were going there last season, and I think, did they win 5-3? Was that the result at the Etihad last year? When they, when they won 5-2. on the road? 5-2. 5-2, yeah. they won uh, at the start of last season. I think Leicester's stock has dropped dramatically, and, and as a result, so has Rodgers. So let's... Uh, I, I, I've had that little dig there. Um, if it's not too much of a dig, let's take a look at this outstanding performance from Manchester City. Jay, what was your favourite part of that today? 
<laughs> Favourite part of that was the full sound whistle when it was all over. Um, no, I mean, listen, we've, we spoke every week, we speak about City not having a, a recognised number nine, a recognised striker, and the, the fact is they don't need one, do they? They're scoring goals from all over the pitch. I think, you know, Bernardo Silva, who's in my fantasy team, was one of the few players who didn't score against Leicester, which is typical. And also Leeds, but, I think, as well. You missed out for some reason. Yeah, I know, so I'm the kiss of death. I, I really am. Um, but, you know, you, you look at it and look at the likes of Sterling, who there's question marks about his long-term future at the club. He's been bagging in the goals. You look at Mares, who doesn't always, I think, get a game. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't, isn't always guaranteed to start. He's obviously on the score sheet. De Bruyne, who people are saying he isn't having a usual Kevin De Bruyne season, from what I hear from City fans, he's been a you know he's not been quite as consistently at his best as he has previous times around. He's on the score sheet. So the thing with City is they can just get goals from anywhere, and I think that whilst okay Leicester rallied and, and did manage to, to sort of make a little bit of a game of it, it was a comfortable win, and when you've got the, the players that Manchester City have got at their disposal when as well you are defensively solid I know they conceded three but that's a rarity for Manchester City it really is they don't concede a lot of goals at all then there's not many weaknesses there in this City team there really isn't and I know you, the likes of Liverpool and, and Chelsea will be looking at it and going we're still in this this is a title race but you almost feel like even though we're only halfway into the season that it's almost cities to lose already because you think with the experience they've got with a manager like Guardiola the way they're not conceding many goals and the way they're scoring goals all over the pitch that It'd be a massive surprise me for to me if, if City didn't win the title in, in May, and you know full well I take no pleasure in saying that. Now, Rob, uh, like City lined up today without uh, Foden or Grealish in the starting lined up. We saw um, uh, Foden come on towards the end, uh, so obviously that gives you an indication of, of the depth that they've got there. And I'm just curious as to, you know, we've seen such a big impact that that. Pep has had since he's come to the Premier League in terms of the style of play. People said it wouldn't work, and obviously now everybody seems to have a goalkeeper that wants to play it out from the back. We've got a lot more teams doing the high press that City have done. Are we possibly moving towards a, a situation now where you know there's going to be real concern for any strikers playing their trade in the Premier League because teams might start adopting this this style that City have got and just play without a striker. Well, I said this recently that this is the death of the number nine. You know, there's always going to be strikers out there who do that job, be the last line, be someone like a Haaland or or Lewandowski or that type of striker. But the false nine reigns supreme. And we do a tactical show and we talk about these things all uh, all the time. And of course, Guardiola is one of the main uh, perpetrators of that, as is Klopp, you know, pushing the system of having... Uh, a striker that can drop back into the midfield and join all the dots together. But you're right, Manchester City don't need a striker. See, when Aguero left the football club, people were crying out for a new number nine. But it just wasn't going to happen when you've got all these attacking midfielders that can link together. And you've got someone like Gabriel Jesus, who's a striker, who's now playing on the wing and playing wider. It's just a, a, a good place to be in. So I do think City might go and buy a striker in the summer, and that might be a big-name striker, someone I just mentioned a minute ago. But they don't need it. You know, they score they score goals for fun. They rotate. They make sure they've got that nine position covered and they interlink it all beautifully. And Guardiola undoubtedly has revolutionised the game. Yeah, I wonder if they might uh, they might go out and buy somebody um, just to uh, stop your Newcastle buying them <laughs> in, 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 the, in the next transfer window. Now, uh, no uh, Jack Grealish in the starting lineup uh, once again. Um, this this really has caught your eye, Rob, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it has, because we've had a conversation about Jack Grealish all the way back to the summer and the Euros and what, what was he, where he was he going to go, how is he going to develop, and was he worth, obviously, his £100 million price tag? I think for Guardiola and City, they're probably the only club around at the moment that could buy someone for £100 million and for this player to be that poor in terms of his statistical returns and no one really saying a thing about it. The the talk about Jack Grealish at the moment, of course, is how hard he's finding it at Manchester City and also his nightclubbing antics with a certain young lad from the team. So I, I think with Grealish, it's an interesting one to see how it develops because the ball is really in Grealish's court. If he wants to be a superstar, if he wants to be a an entity at Manchester City, you know, a £100 million player, it's a big price tag. He's got to do a lot more, but unfortunately, it seems that he's upset his manager at the moment and the influence that he's having on uh, on Foden in terms of their little partnership off the pitch, mm. that could be a problem moving forward. Jay, United are one of the, the, the few teams that can kind of match City in the in the transfer market at the moment. And you've had, over the years, an experience of, of big money players, some that have worked, some that haven't worked. Um, and also we've seen in the past with with Ferguson, this kind of management with not taking any nonsense and, and quickly shipping shipping people out. Like, you know, if he was at United under Ferguson, you know, what, what way do you think uh, Ferguson would handle this? Do you think we wouldn't even see any of these stories about Grealish? Do you think he would be too terrified for it to happen? Or do you think Ferguson would be like, well, that's enough, get out? I think, I mean, it's only very early into his City career. In answer to your question, I think Ferguson obviously took a sort of hard line, didn't he, with players going out and players getting themselves into that sort of lifestyle. He tends to, tended to, to sort of crack the whip and if they didn't respond, then maybe, you know, they could get moved on. So maybe that would be the approach. I feel like with a big money sign like Grealish, he'd want to get the best out of him. I think, yes, it is early days, but these stories that you've, you've both mentioned, they're not great. I think Grealish has always had a bit of that about him, hasn't he? He's always felt like an old school type of footballer, the way he plays, his lifestyle. He feels like he belongs in a different era, like he belongs in the 70s or something. Um, but I think that Guardiola will, will have got him in for a reason. He's a very talented footballer. And he's also, you know, what is he, 25? He's not like he's he's um, he's passed it or anything. He's still got a lot of football to left to give. So I think in terms of just an investment, you want to get the best out of your investment. You want to get him playing. I think he'll be, I still think Jack Grealish will, will, will have a good future at Manchester City. I think he will sort of come good. I think he's just got to adapt. He's got to get used to not being the main man. He's got to get used to working in part of a system that doesn't centre around just him doing what he wants, but actually him fitting into into the way that Pep Guardiola wants. But he will have known that coming into coming into Manchester, into Manchester City and also look at the calibre of the players that he's played alongside. No disrespect to Aston Villa, but he won't have played, or even, you could argue, England for a lot of these players. He won't have played with a players of the calibre of the likes of De Bruyne and Silva and, and some of the others. So, you know, he should, he should be loving it, loving life at Manchester City because he's going to, and also, you know, again, I take no pleasure in saying this, he's going to win things. If he stays there and gets his head down, he'll win lots of trophies. So, I think he'll be okay. I just feel that at the minute, this is a bit of a sort of time frame where he's got to realise what he got away with at Aston Villa, he's not going to get away with at Manchester City, even though they spent a lot of money on him. He can't just do what he wants, but I think Pep Guardiola will know how to handle him and I expect it I expect it to be resolved. I expect it to be resolved sooner rather than later. Interestingly, this leads us nicely into our next game, Norwich against Arsenal. Uh, still no Aubameyang uh, in the lineup. I think that's five games now he's been frozen out. But the interesting thing there is the difference in form. And I've heard a few going to say this now, that you know since Aubameyang's been taken out of the team, the team have been playing better. Now... You know the, the 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 opposition today. You know Norwich was you know haven't been 
the best team in the Premier League this season by a long shot. And also, they've been struggling with COVID. So it was a fairly straightforward win in the end. But, you know, Rob, do you think this is this is something where... I mean, again, you know, like, we don't know the full story, what's going on there. But, you know, it's only, what, two seasons ago that they were kind of like... There was the protracted negotiations to get Aubameyang to stay on, sign a new contract. Um, and he, he, he got a big money contract for that. But since then, he hasn't really delivered on what what he'd given previously well we kind of saw it in Mesut Ozil didn't we gets the big contract stops playing football you know it's a, it's a strange phenomenon it doesn't just happen at Arsenal it happens at all football clubs but but they're certainly playing better football you know like when you, you track Arsenal throughout the season and saw how poorly they started there was always the seeds there with the young players that if they could develop them quickly and get them into the first team that Arsenal will become a dangerous team and I think when you look at them now we just talked about Manchester City there and how they play around you know, the attack, the attacking midfielders, how they join the dots from, from left to right and up to the top and having someone like, say, Lacazette at the, at, the, at the top of the attack, they can find a way to get into the box and score goals. So, you know, you know, Norwich are not the best opponent. I think they're going to go down quite comfortably as they usually do when they come up to the Premier League. So I don't think we can kind of read a 5 nil result too much into that. But I do think that Arsenal, they're playing some really, really good football and they're, they're packed full of young talent. Like we're just talking about Jack Grealish at 25, £100 million player. Arsenal are full of these youngsters who are like around that 20 mark, 21, 22, on their first contracts. They are hungry. That's why they're playing as they are. And I think Arteta's the right guy to, to make it, to splice it all together and to get them going in the right direction. I think Arsenal will be back in the top four before you blink of an eye. Yeah, and I think this is the, the first time in, in a while that they've been in the top four around about Christmas. Um, as for Norwich, you know, the, the, the fans the fans were booed off. Uh, sorry, the fans weren't booed off. The fans should be applauded, if anything. Uh, but the, the, the players were, were booed off. Um, I think Angus Gunn making his debut for them today. The last game he had in the Premier League um, was in goal for Southampton when they lost 9-0 uh, to Leicester. So that's not a great uh, two back-to-back games for him. But in terms of in terms of where they are, I mean, I suppose they, they may not have expected much from this. But even if they were to get a win, would that be a case of uh, the hope that would kill them? Because, you know, as as Rob says there, Jay, surely that surely they're gone and they need to start thinking about next season. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't look great, does it? It looks very difficult. They had that sort of. We can't see, can't even call it a purple patch or anything, was it? Where the 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 one was it did win in two games, back to back games a little yeah, while it was ago in November. The last game for Daniel Fark and then Dean's first game. Yeah, when he came the, in. The, 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 yeah, and you think okay, that's potentially something you can build on, but they haven't built on that at all, and the the form has been has been dreadful. And okay, they're only what I say only, but the six points from safety, which isn't oh sorry, not six points. I think there's three points. Sorry from from safety, which is obviously doable. But you look at the form, you look at the performances as well. The game against Arsenal wasn't the first hammering they've had. And it does, you know, you just pointed out there that the fans are booing the players off. That speaks volumes. And listen, Dean Smith is a very good manager. They have got one or two good players, but I just think it's going to be very difficult. I think when you look at the teams that are just above them as well, Newcastle, I expect to go turbo in the January transfer market. Burnley, you'd fancy them to, to have a decent chance of getting themselves out of trouble with a manager like Sean Dyche. So I just feel that... Norwich are going to struggle to get out of trouble and last time in the Premier League it felt like they got promoted a little bit too, not too soon but ahead of schedule they had this sort of five year plan they got promoted and they didn't they didn't 
panic or didn't go right okay we're going to spend loads of money they just said okay you know we, we, we're sort of ahead of schedule but we're just going to keep to our plan went down came back up and you think right okay now they can kick on they've got that premier league experience they can maybe do a little bit better but they haven't and you look at it and you go this isn't a great season i'd be very very surprised if they got themselves out of trouble and yeah, I just, I just, I just feel like it's, it's just a little bit of a wasted opportunity for Norwich because you feel like maybe if they had been a little bit shrewder in the transfer market or pushed it a little bit, they would have given themselves a fighting chance because they're not that far off it in terms of points. But it's just the performances mm. and it's just not a happy place, is it? When you've got your fans booing you off and you've already changed manager and you're still rooted to the bottom of the table then that says all it needs to say, really, doesn't it? And I'm sure any Norwich fans listening might be inclined to boo us off right now, but, you know, I'm desperate to have something really positive to say about the team because, you know, as, as a club, I, I really like them going way back, but as you say, it's, it's sort of desperate times for them at the moment. It does also lead me to question, do we put too much value into that phrase, Premier League experience? You know, because there's a, there's a lot of those players there that were here last time and doesn't seem to be doing them any good. I know, uh, I know we'll quite put- a few Norwich fans. I know quite a few Norwich fans and they, and they kind of say that when they come up to the Premier League, it's a holiday. Come up for a year. They go to nice grounds. It's a holiday, but they expect to lose. And then the real football starts again when they're back in the Championship. So that is Norwich in a nutshell, isn't it? It's when they're in the, in the Championship, they look like a really good club, well run, good squad, well balanced. Come up to the Premier League, they just look like they're on holiday. So I, I don't know of Norwich. I think they are just going to do this yo-yo perennial thing until that stops and they can't actually get promoted out of the championship. Well, uh, let's leave it there on a holiday note for uh, the Norwich fans and let's take a little break ourselves, but only for a moment. And uh, then when we come back, uh, we're going to look at somebody who's sprinkling a little bit of uh, magic at Tottenham and also uh, two teams that are having different uh directions of form at the moment in West Ham and Southampton. That's next. Welcome back to the Football Social Daily Boxing Day edition, reviewing all the Premier League games that go ahead. A very sketchy plan went out for today's show because we simply weren't sure how many games were actually going to take place. So let's move uh, down to London now and Tottenham, who hosted Crystal Palace, who decimated uh, one of the teams that have been suffering uh, from COVID, uh, had a, having an outbreak, but did not get their game suspended, which uh, I, th- I think you believe seems to have something to do with the fact it was being broadcast on TV, Rob. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? Premier League's got a lot of money invested in these TV games over Christmas. And then one game that probably should have been cancelled due to COVID when you looked at the numbers didn't get cancelled. So I think Crystal Palace were quite unhappy about that. Yeah, it was a good game, though. Uh, although Crystal Palace really didn't have much to offer after one of your your favourites, Wilfred Zahar, got himself sent off for like the most stupid double yellow card we've seen since Jimenez against City, Jay. Um, yeah, it, it was. And I, it's, I always find it infuriating when players get sort of second yellows not that long after the first one and for something really stupid. And Wilfred Zaha, as you said, when he did that, he didn't give his, his team much of a chance. I think they were already, was it two goals down when he when he did that? And I, Wilfred Zaha, someone I've sort of stuck up for quite a lot on this podcast and someone I like as a, as a player. I always think he's a threat. I think that he's been a big part of the reason why Crystal Palace have consistently been in the Premier League for the last, what, is it six or seven seasons or whatever it yeah. is? I forget the exact number, but they have been, you know, almost Premier League mainstays, haven't they? And he's a big reason behind that. And I also, just from a United point of view, felt a little bit sorry for him when he was at United. 
read some of the stories that were going on about, you know, he was sort of left to his own devices, didn't know anyone. He was sort of shunned a little bit by David Moyes after he's brought in as, as just on the end of Fergie's uh, reign. And I felt like he got a bit of a rough deal there, but there's no excusing that. I mean, he's cost his team any chance he had of getting back in the game. And he's got to learn because he's a, he's a player that will get tagged. He gets tagged by fans. He's, he's a player that he, he has that reputation of being easy to wind up. And he's got that experience. He's, he's 29. He's been around for, you know, a decade. He shouldn't be letting him, his head uh, go like that. And he, he needs to be a little bit cleverer and a little bit smarter. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's just not good enough by him. And when they were down to 10 men, 2-0 down, and arguably your most effective player is gone, I mean, what chance have you got against a, a Spurs side that have got their act together under Conte? Yeah, and they, they really have, Rob. I mean, it's a completely different side um, that, that, that we're seeing, still with pretty much the same players, uh, to what we've seen uh, both under Cont- both under um, Mourinho and also the guy that was there so briefly, uh, you almost forget his name, which I've completely done now. Ryan Mason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Mason. Hey, there's a, that's a good quiz question answer, that, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and, and little cameo there. Poor old Nuno. Yeah. And, and so Nuno didn't really get a chance. Ryan Mason didn't get a chance. Um, so you can't really compare it. But... You know, when when you look at the, I mean, Kane seems to be back to full that that relationship uh, with Son up front, and also Lucas Moura, who always seemed to be just on on the outskirts. He was phenomenal today in terms of his influence on the game. Yeah, he was, and I, and I think Tottenham already looked like a Conte team. You know, playing three four three, three at the top, pressing higher, and then also just playing progressively from the back through midfield. Nothing too fast through there, but just controlled and and Palace let them do that today you know as, as Jay just said there about Wolf Zaha you know really kind of ruined the game for his team uh, they've been hampered massively by Covid and you could see that from the first whistle they did have a good first 10 minutes and that was about it but Tottenham controlled the game and I think you'll see Tottenham play this side of football now throughout the rest of the season and, and like Arsenal you know they've they've taken their time to get to where they want to be but they're going to be one of those clubs in the top four conversation. If they can keep winning games and just put the consistency together, get Sun firing, get Kane firing. But the additional bit here, as you said, Lucas Moura looks like a real player under Conte, fits the system, you know, allows him to attack at the right times and right areas. Tottenham could be a threat for those clubs in the top four. Yeah, and they, they, they don't have that distraction of Europe now. They were... Uh, removed, I think is the the, the term they used uh, from the Europa Conference League because they were unable to fulfil uh, that fixture. Um, so that could actually lead to it being a good season for them. They've got a semi-final in the Carabao Cup and they don't have the distraction of Europe. So, you know, would it be too much to too much of a leap to see Spurs actually going on, especially, uh, as, as Rob said, already very much moulded by Conte? And we know Conte... I was almost picked up where Mourinho left off. Mourinho used to be the one that would come in and win you silverware. And Conte seems very much to be the one in terms of doing that very quickly. So do you think that we have an actual reasonable shout to see Spurs picking up a trophy this season, Jay? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at sort of tournament and knockout football, it's, it's can you know, as is that team capable of going toe-to-toe with some of the better teams in that competition? And, and Spurs are. 
they've got quality players. You know, you look at we we mentioned some of them. You know, look at Lucas Moore on his day, Son, Kane. They've got you know I've, players that have come in. I saw him against Liverpool. Who, who you know who looked quite decent as well. I thought some of the midfielders who like likes of Winks, for example. I thought he'd become the forgotten man and he put in a decent performance. So they have got some good players there, and you've got a manager in Conte who's been around. He's he's got obviously good experience in the Premier League. Won trophies where almost pretty much wherever he's gone. So. I definitely think they've got a good chance. Plus, you're into the last four of the Carabao Cup. You've got is it still over two legs? I think in at the semi final against Chelsea, um, and Chelsea have been beatable this season. I know they've had a decent season, but teams have beaten them. So, yeah, I, I think they have got a good chance, and I think that's what they should be looking at. I think the this sort of record they've got of when was the last time they won a trophy? Is it 2008? Was it in the League Cup? Yeah. I mean, for a team like Spurs, who've been in and around the top four for. A, a, you know, ten years or whatever or more, to only have won one trophy in thirteen years or whatever it's been is 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 pretty amazing. And I think that yeah, if they if if Conte can deliver a bit of silverware, that'll give the Spurs fans something to cheer about because I get that top four is the sort of the the holy grail in terms of revenue and, and attracting other players and all that other stuff. But you you want to win trophies, especially as a fan, don't you? You want to see your team lift trophies, so. I think they've got the players and the manager in Antonio Conte who can help them do that and they've got a great opportunity there. Well, we only have to wind back about six weeks or so and we could have been talking about this with uh, David Moyes and Spurt and West Ham and actually part of their decline is one of the things that's opened up the door for the likes of Arsenal and Spurs to move up. So that's four defeats in a row. Uh, one positive was Antonio came back, uh, started the second half, took him four minutes to get his goal. Uh, which shows you how important he is as a player. Uh, but the again, it wasn't enough for West Ham to get that result. So, you know, by recent standards, they're still having a very good season, but uh, it's going to be very disappointing for West Ham fans who were hoping that this could be the season they could really push on. You know, what do you, what do you think's lacking? I mean, there's a lot of talk being talked about them going out into the transfer window in January and picking up another striker, so they've at least got cover for Antonio. But again, does it come back to that old question of, you know, just needing more depth? Yeah, and I also think it's the David Moyes effect. So I think when Moyes has actually got some balance and consistency and things are okay, then his teams totter along well. They're kind of top six, top eight. You know, they are that kind of club. You obviously don't have Moyes in the past with Everton. But they just lack some depth and they lack some X factor. So they can't really pull results out of the fire. And today's one of those typical examples of a, a, a club they should beat. They should comfortably get this uh, a win, a 1 or 2 nil victory today. And they struggle really badly. And it's a bad day at the office for them. Um, I, I also think it is the Man United effect in the second set. Like a few weeks ago, people were saying, oh, David Moyes, what a great manager. Should have given him longer at Man United. Oh, Brendan Rodgers, he's a great manager. He maybe is the next <laughs> manager. And here we are, all of about three or four weeks later, both managers are in the can, both being binned, both considered not good enough for their own football clubs at the moment. So I, I think we West Ham, they'll be OK, but they do need to go in a transfer market and make some sign-ins. Yeah, uh, I, def- I think that's fair enough to say. As for Saint <coughs> Southampton... Um, they get their first win in seven games, so that's a real present for the fans there. Only their second away win this season. Uh, a, a team that's kind of uh, gone under the the radar recently, they've kind of just been keeping themselves mid-table, uh, managed to avoid any thumping defeats like we had uh, last season. But there's some real quality in that side, particularly James Ward-Prowse again, uh, 
you know, putting away a penalty and, and setting up the winning goal with one of his free kicks as well. He, he's a real talent, isn't he, Jay? Yeah, he is, and he, he you know, his last co- last few seasons, he seems to be getting a lot of recognition, especially as you mentioned from from dead balls. I know penalties are one thing, but free kicks as well. He's a very good free kick taker. One of the, probably one of the best around at the minute, um, and uh, and a few people are probably looking at it. They lost a couple of players in the summer, kept hold of him. Obviously, an important player for them, and he's having a very good season. And they have got some some quality there. And it is it is a bit of a funny one with Southampton, isn't it? Because they're the, the such a, a sort of Jekyll and Hyde team. You see Southampton sometimes, and the, the one of the they look like. And forgive me for saying this, Southampton fans, but I, I'm talking about the time I've seen them playing against Leicester and United, you know, getting absolutely hammered, record-breaking defeats, and you think, Harson Hootel's going to get sacked here. How's he going to keep his job? This team's dreadful. And yet then they'll go on a run and turn things around and put a string of wins together. And they, they do seem to be able to, to sort of keep themselves safe. The only question is, what's their ambition? Do they have ambitions of moving up the table and trying to crack into that Europa League sort of those Europa League spaces is he the right man to do that have they got the resources to even do that but you know they have got some good players like I said they've got I think a good manager in Harrison Hill despite the occasional you know heavy defeat they have and I think that when some teams you know you look at the likes of Burnley who, who have always been a sort of deemed a reliable Premier League team and the struggles they've had maybe life isn't too bad at Southampton compared to, to some of their peers uh, we're going to take a, another short break in a moment, but first of all, I just want to bring you the news, which you might have seen already, um, that the uh, the next Leeds game against Villa, um, not so much of a surprise, um, has been postponed again due to COVID. Uh, Leeds were supposed to be playing Liverpool in today's round of matches, but that was postponed, and given the reason that it is... Um, and, and the length of time that this takes in terms of isolation for players, it's no wonder that in this uh, period of lots of games in uh, in short thrift um, that we're going to see more of these postponements. I think we're looking at 14 Premier League games postponed in December alone. Uh, Rob, you think this is probably going to sort of continue to creep up as well, don't you? I do, and I think that you know the Premier League made that decision to to not can these games the ones we're talking about today and obviously the ones over the Christmas period um, for a mixture of reasons obviously the main one being that the government themselves haven't issued a lockdown and still allowing people to move around so how can you tell football fans not to go to football stadiums when the government say you can do whatever you want so it's a difficult one but I do think that that going into January we might see a spike in that so we do see a lockdown of course football will follow that and we will see uh, an untold amount of postponements. I think the worst is still yet to come in terms of games being cancelled. But of course, if that is for health reasons, and that's something obviously we've all got get got to get behind as a public, then so be it. Now, just the the reason why I bring that up there is going into this game, Southampton hadn't played a game uh, for for ten days, uh, whereas West Ham have had a little busier schedule. So, you know. Who do you think's gonna? Which squad do you think's gonna benefit from things the most if we find ourselves having more uh, breaks over the next couple of weeks? I know, like, obviously, there's much more important things to look at in in, in, in when we're concerned about uh, people's health and what's happening. Uh, but in terms of this having a knock-on Jay for football, uh, which team do you think's gonna benefit the most from having the break? I mean, I'm just from the top of my head, I'm thinking, you know, if the um, African Nations Cup goes ahead, you know, in January, then Liverpool, if if we were to face a suspension for a, a week or two, they would obviously be one of the big beneficiaries from it. Yeah, I mean, they would, because obviously they'd keep some of their key players. 
um, or they, you know, they'd certainly see them having more games. I mean, it's difficult to say that because you just don't know how it's going to pan out. You don't know how teams are going to be affected. You don't know which players and which games they're going to they're going to miss as as well. I mean, it's so it's so difficult because I'm I'm a little vague with the rules and perhaps you can you can sort of bring me up to speed with them. But it is was that rule that teams had to have a certain amount of squad players and if they had that certain amount of squad players, the games went ahead. Is that still a, a well, thing? Te- that, technically, no. I th- I think the the thing is is um, the actual Premier League rules themselves, as they were, uh, state yeah. having fourteen players. Uh, but right. they've they've shown they've been doing it on a case by case basis, and that's yeah. that's what's led to the confusion and and the problem. And also that's led to situations like I don't know if you heard in Scotland today, Dundee fielded a team. Uh, uh, they were put fourteen players, and basically there was three goalkeepers in that squad. So effectively, only gave them one substitute, but because they were had fourteen professionals, um, they they were ordered to to go ahead with the game. Yeah, I mean, what the the, the difficulty gets, as you sort of alluded to earlier, when you have teams that have a backlog of games, because some teams may have game after game postponed or whatever, other teams may not have as many, and they may have a situation where they, you know, when you're getting towards the end of the season, they've got all these games that they've got to fulfil. You may have other teams where they've got you know, the likes of Manchester City, the obvious ones, they've got a big squad, so they can afford to lose maybe a few players if they have to and still be able to field a strong team or a strong squad. Other players, other teams, sorry, I'm thinking, ironically, Leicester, for example, they lose players, it really heavily affects them. So there's so many variables here, it's difficult to say. If they are doing it on a on a case-by-case case basis, then okay, that's fair enough. I think it, it just gets a bit frustrating from a fan's point of view when you're seeing teams heavily heavily weakened having to play against teams that aren't weakened when you're seeing teams that are maybe struggling who have a backlog of games and then they've got to make them up when you're seeing some teams who've had this break a big break I think you mentioned there there was a 10 day break for Southampton and West Ham didn't have anything like that and it becomes a little bit it feels a little bit unfair Mm. that's when you start getting a a little bit frustrated as a fan when you look at going okay some of these clubs are getting an advantage through through no fault of anyone's so there's no the sort of the long-winded answer to your question there's no happy solution to this is there i don't think there's a one solution where we go okay that's the answer and everyone's going to be buzzing with that i think we just have to do what they're doing and take it on a case-by-case basis from a purely selfish point of view i just hope that we don't get to that point where we have games behind closed doors again because i just didn't enjoy that as a fan i get it i get it was for the greater good and you have to keep people safe i understand that but you know it just wasn't as good to watch even whether you're Obviously, you weren't at the game, but just watching it on the telly, even it didn't feel as as exciting and as intense as when you've got fans there. And I get a sneaky feeling that we may be, may be heading towards that, yeah, sometime in the near future. Well, we'll just have to watch this space and see. Uh, w- one other team that were affected by it uh, is the team we're going to review next is Aston Villa. Uh, welcome Chelsea to Villa Park without their manager Steven Gerrard. Welcome back to the final section of the Football Social Daily, this Boxing Day. My name's Ant McGinley, joined by Jay Motti and Rob Blanchett. Just as we're recording this now, we're hearing that the Arsenal-Wolves game on Tuesday the 28th has also been postponed, becoming the latest game to suffer at the hands of COVID outbreaks. Now, lots has been said about this before, no doubt we'll say some more, but one thing, <laughs> one thing that it really affects me with this is the impact this is all having on my fantasy Premier League team. So I'm just curious as to uh, if this is having an impact on you. Jay, how's it going for you this season? 
do you know people stop we do a thing on the channel and I've had people stopping me in the street giving me advice <laughs> you, you have been bottom of my league for about honestly, eight years yeah. like literally it's, rock it's, bottom of my league I am, I am the worst person on fantasy team yeah. for, I, you, I always forget it yeah. and even now we've not forget it because we started doing this members video every week where we go about the fantasy I still just can't get it right I still pick the wrong players I, I'm just I, I, th I think there's something to be said for having too much knowledge as well like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's my excuse i like that one i'm gonna nail that yeah i've got too much knowledge i overthink it because i'm too too uh it's, too insightful it, 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 that's my problem you're like pep in the champions league final basically yeah <laughs> it's, the, it's the only reason why i do fancy league shows so i can actually then say yeah i do it for my job and it's work and all that but yeah i'm 3800th in the world this year so i'm bragging about what? that yep yeah, i'm Wow, that's amazing. Top zero point zero zero one percent in the world. So I'm going. Yeah, that's me, Dan. That's my that's my trophy. Yeah. I'm, I'm especially fair, with though, our terrible football six, club. Do you know what I mean? I'm only six million four hundred and thirty-seven thousand behind you. So it's not that much to brag about. Not really. No, my, no. My, my my most successful season in fantasy football was when uh, Sven Goran Eriksson came in. The season he took over at Man City. And um, at that time, they weren't as strict on how many players you could have. I think you could have up to five players from one team. And I think I had like five City players in there. And that was the season we won our first 10 games. And um, I'd sort of like set it up and then didn't touch it. I forgot about it, was doing other stuff, had no idea. And uh, it was only later in the year when I was speaking to the guys I was in the league with that they pointed out to me that at one point I'd been in the top 10 in the country. Uh, wow. But it was because I wasn't touching it. It's because I wasn't. Yeah. As, as soon as I started fiddling, that was it. I was gone. I was gone. Uh, so let's move from fantasy football to real football. And uh, the the one of the light kickoffs today, and and the, we'll review the 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 Brentford game uh, in the next podcast. Uh, the the e early evening kickoff. Would you call it? Yeah. Aston Villa welcomed yeah. Chelsea to the stadium. Uh, Steven Gerrard missing the game. Uh, due to a positive COVID test. Again, this is a subject that's going to come up time and time again. We'll leave that for now for one side. But Gary McAllister uh, deputised for him in the dugout. And um, they gave a really good go of it, actually. Uh, succumbing to a substitute header from uh, Romelu Lukaku. And then the second of two penalties from Jorginho. And seeing as we were talking about fantasy football just then... Um, He's somebody that's been uh, bringing a lot of points in for those managers who have him in his side. Uh, the one Chelsea player I've got in my team is Rhys James, who I also seem to pick, as I say, when he uh, scores on goals or gets sent off. Um, so Chelsea much needed this win, Rob, because uh, their form's been a bit up and down. And at one stage, you know, we were looking at this as a, as a one-all draw and going, ah, I'm not surprised, actually, that's a given the form that they've had that might not be a bad result for today but obviously a much better result for Chelsea getting the win a better result but not a better performance and I think that you know for a team that seemed to be the third wheel in a in a title race yes they're still there just about but the performances have gone this year and it's really interesting when you look at how Chelsea have played you know we've talked about a little bit about formations today and 3-4-3 three, three, and how do you do that well Chelsea do have an old school number nine up top and he did score the goal today that, that got them on their way to victory. But Tuchel's found it difficult to integrate Lukaku and find a way. So I think the story the next few weeks for Chelsea will be trying to find formulas around Lukaku, trying to feed him, trying to get him on the goal scoring trail. Yes, he's been injured. Yes, he's been obviously out of the team. They've had COVID issues as well like every other football club. 
But I think that's the key now for Chelsea. Can they can they really like kick on, you know, catch Liverpool, you know, get City within their sights and make it a title challenge? I think as that things stand and as the performances are, the answer to that is no. It's been a really interesting year for for Tuchel, really, because you know he, he came in uh, replacing Lampard, and really when you stop and look back at it, he, you know he's going to say, "Well, I've had a great year." You know, winning the Champions League obviously is a great thing, but it really has um, has deteriorated there. And I wonder if we're seeing a similar issue to what he had towards the end of his time at PSG. I'm not suggesting that it's at the end of his time at Chelsea, uh, but. You know, I I think one of the issues that came up was was managing the different egos that he had at Chelsea. Do you think that might be part of the issue that he's got? So managing the different egos at PSG, but he was brought in to manage particularly the German players that they weren't getting the best out of at Chelsea, and I'm not sure he's necessarily doing that with everybody. Um, yeah, possibly. I, I mean, I feel like Tuchel came in. You know, we said that wonderful sort of spell and they won the Champions League. And then I, I mean, you, you may disagree with it. I know a lot of people do. I think he got a little bit overrated. I think people started going, oh, well, you knew Tuchel was going to have massive success at Chelsea when he went there. And he's one of the best. He's a, he's a manager that, you know, you always expected him to, to go toe-to-toe with Klopp and the likes of Guardiola and, and be able to get the better of him. And I thought, well, I didn't think that. And I thought that he's a good manager, but he did, he did, he did okay at Dortmund and... Obviously, at PSG, did okay, but then it, it went sour. So, But I always thought he, he exceeded expectations in that initial spell at Chelsea. I didn't have them down as Champions League winners at all, and I think he did very well. And then they had the great start in the Premier League, and people go, oh, you know, this is it, this is what he does. I think, hang on a minute, you just need to take a step back because it's a long season, and we're going to have to wait and see how he can handle when he loses one or two players, when the, the results start going against him. Because we know that the likes of Klopp sorry, and Guardiola can, can handle that and can get still get a tune out of their team turn around. Can he do that? And I think with, with Chelsea, I always, I mean, I'm a massive N'Golo Kante fan. I always think they miss him when he's 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 absent and they've missed him for a few games. I know obviously he played today and I think that, that hurts them. And I think he has done well, but they have had some issues and I don't think necessarily he has got the best out of all the German players. They, 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 did, they did well last season, but I think there's still a few question marks around some of them. I also think that one or two players, the, the consistency-wise, you have question marks around them. Uh, Saul Iglesias come in has been almost, I know this sounds pretty bad to say, but almost useless to them. Lukaku's come in, scored some goals, had a bit of time off of injury, obviously come back into the team now and scored, started scoring again. But there's been a little bit of a question mark just over consistency there since he's been at Chelsea, whether that's due to injury or whatever. So there's just a lot of question marks around Tuchel at Chelsea. And I think people just got almost carried away when he won the Champions League and going, that's it, that's what he does, he's going to win trophies, he's going to win them, he's turned it around. And I think you can have that initial positive impact. We've seen a lot of managers have it. And then it gets a little bit more difficult, especially when you look at the sort of the, the, the some of the other managers that are around the Premier League. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out because I think he's really up against it now. I really do. And I won't be surprised if, I think he's what, is he on an 18-month contract? I won't be surprised if at the end of this season then, then he does move on and... He, you know that he looks at it and go okay. I was there for eighteen months. See how what happens this this season, of course. But I won the Champions League. I can leave with my head held high. But I don't expect Tuchel, you know, to to sort of. I don't think he win the Premier League this season. I really don't. And to be honest with you, I don't think he win the Champions League either. I think it's going to be a case of he came in, did really well, and then did okay. Well, despite being affected by um, 
the the COVID situation and and Tuchel's been very vocal about this himself uh, and wasn't happy at the fact that you know he didn't have much choice but to bring the likes of Kante straight back from injury without giving them the time time to warm up. Uh, Chelsea find themselves uh, maintaining 19 games alongside Manchester City but are six points off the race, level with Liverpool who have a game in hand on them. In terms of Villa, just there talking about managers coming in and having an effect, and obviously he he missed the game um, today because of a positive test. You know, there the does seem to be, even though the the record is sort of very much win loss, win loss, win loss the last few games, Rob. Um, at least in terms of feeling and confidence at Villa Park, that there is a real lift. Is that just the the new manager bounce that Jay's mentioned there, or do you think it's something more? No, it is a Gerard bounce, you know, and you look at Aston Villa and as a football club, and we've said this on this podcast before, Aston Villa are the fifth richest team in England in terms of money in the bank. You know, they are the, you know, they're richer than Manchester United and Liverpool on paper. And when you bring in a manager like Steven Gerrard, who you can put in charge of your project, you know, young, young manager, young players, a kind of a post Jack Grealish Aston Villa. I think it's a good cocktail for success in the future, but you've just got to keep it going for now. So I think there's lots of good things going on at Aston Villa. They're still very much, you know, a mid-table club. And if they if they end up in the top 10, I still think they'll be punching above their weight as it stands. But they have got the money to go invest in their squad and help Gerard at least mould a, a team that should be able to compete for a European place in the years ahead. Well, if I was to be punching above my weight right now, that'd be a lot of weight given the uh, amount of Christmas dinners that I've had. Um, let's uh, let's just leave that one there for now. And quickly before we finish, look ahead uh, to the next game, all touching anything made of wood nearby, um, which is uh, Manchester United and Newcastle, uh, which tends to traditionally at this time of year bring us a, a, a goal fest. Um, do you see that on the cards, Jay? Um, I'd like to, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that with Newcastle struggling as much as they are, and and you know United having Ragnick in and and have had some positive results since he's arrived, that we can really put them to the sword, if you will, and and get a load of goals against them. I just I'm not so sure it might be quite difficult. Um, but with that being said, I mean I've not seen a lot of Newcastle this season. When I have seen them, they haven't looked great. I don't think they've had much of a you know, you were talking about a managerial bounce there with new managers coming in. Has that happened under Eddie Howe? I don't feel like it has at all. I feel like they've just carried on like they were before he arrived, really. And not maybe not quite as bad as they were under Steve Bruce, but not, not that much has changed. And obviously, they've not been able to make any sort of moves yet in the transfer market. So, I'd like to think that United can, can get a few goals against them. United, obviously, defensively, haven't been great this season. So, there's every reason to suspect that Newcastle can get goals as well. So, in answer to your question... Yes, I think we could see some goals because it's two teams that defensively do have you know mistakes in them. But I also feel going forward, attack-wise, United have got you know a lot of very good options. And, and like I said earlier, under Ragnick as well, this is the sort of game you'd expect a manager with his sort of just come in, doing well so far, to, to be able to get at a, a fairly poor Newcastle team, if we're being brutally honest. And I know... I'm going to eat those words massively. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> uh, in terms of the managers there, Rob, just, just picking up on what Jay said, I mean, it's saying that Eddie Howe hasn't made much difference. Obviously, Ralph himself, this is possibly, or more than likely, his last managerial role in terms of being on, on, on the front foot. And much has been 
said over the years about Eddie Howe and, and, and his future. Do you think that's very much going to be determined by what happens here at Newcastle? Because he has kind of come into a club that, you know, is rock bottom in, the, in terms of where they are. Yes, there's money coming in, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee success. Well, let's be honest, this was a very strange appointment. You know, Newcastle, they are the richest club in the world. You know, they've obviously got uh, owners with a bottomless pit of money. Um, and it looked like they were going to go and get a manager that reflected that. And obviously at the time it was Conte, Zidane, every top manager you could name who would take a paycheck was being linked. And they all turned Newcastle down and they got Eddie Howe. So I think they're playing like an Eddie Howe side, so Bournemouth, basically. And I think that's the level at the moment. I think this is a problem for Newcastle. You know, as you were just saying there, there's been no new manager bounce because I think when you look at the tactics and the way it's been set up, they look like a team that if they do survive, they might survive by one or two points. They don't look like a team that's actually going to thrive. But of course, the January transfer window is upon us. And you would expect that these new owners would want to flex their muscle and buy a load of players. But have you really got the coach to make it work? I'm not so sure. You know, I think if you you were looking at someone like Unai Emery, who won a European trophy last year, has obviously got experience in English football. And he said, you, your project isn't serious. I've looked at your project. I've looked at what you're trying to do. And you've told me what you want to do. And I don't believe it's serious. And I think that's a problem for Eddie Howe. Because how is Eddie Howe supposed to recover that? I'm not so sure. I, I thought he was a good manager. I think during his time at Bournemouth, he was highly rated. And I think he deserved a lot of those plaudits as a young manager. But there was a reason why he failed at that football club. And there was a reason why he's not been in the game for a little while. Uh, I think it's a really big task for him at Newcastle. I'm not quite sure he's going to succeed. Well, uh, for the Newcastle fans out there, I hope at the end of this season, or even just after the game tomorrow, we can play this back to both Rob and Jay. And make them eat their words. <laughs> you know it will uh, happen. So I trust you will. <laughs> you will. You, you, you're the king at reminding me of silly things I've said. Don't worry about that. Uh, well, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, it's been lovely having you here. Thanks for taking time out uh, from the family and the food. Although you may have been glad to get away for a few moments. Uh, but it's been great looking back over the games. Assuming that no more games uh, are postponed, uh, we'll be back with another pod for you on Tuesday's games. Uh, you've got Crystal Palace, Norwich, Southampton, Tottenham, uh, Watford and West Ham United, uh, plus uh, Leicester City and Liverpool being the late kickoff. In that show, we'll also review the Newcastle United, Manchester United game and no doubt have... Uh, have the option to call back Jay and Rob and make them make them apologise for what they've said there. Uh, Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, happy holidays. Uh, enjoy the rest of your. I don't know. Are you, are you going back to finish off your Christmas dinner now, Jay? You still eating it? I've been on a. I've been on like a chocolate diet, mate. Those Quality Street and roses and all that. Just they're just everywhere, and I just keep eating them. Can't help myself. And Rob, what's been your vice over the last twenty four hours? Do you know what? I've been absolutely really, really good with food this year. Not not binge, not gone crazy. Just been working, obviously, through it with uh, Premier League still going. So for me, it's actually not been too wild. I've just kind of uh, got on with the football work and uh, had a couple of mince pies, and that's about it. Yeah, disgusted. I'm disgusted at that. Absolutely sickening. It's just, it's well, just, uh, just trying to, just trying to stay trim, Jay. Just trying to stay trim. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm offended. Well, <laughs> I, I, I've eaten that much. I'm glad that this is just a podcast and not a video show as well. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank, thank you very much, gents. And uh, we'll be back uh, with, with a new show to cover the next round of games. Take care. Thanks Cheers. Cheers. Football Social Daily from the Sports Social Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.